Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of assembling together in your name. We ask now that you'd bless this service and help us to learn from your word. Lord, we ask that you would remind us that we sing the songs to your worship and to your praise. And Lord, that the preaching is done to open our understanding that we may know better how to serve Thee and how to believe on Thee. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister Your Word to each heart here present. Lord, when we get to the time of invitation, that each one of us would surrender to You what is rightfully Yours. Lord, that we would give just a little back to You of what You've given to us. And Lord, we would leave this place to serve you through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our hymn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and we're not going to be spending our, our main time with that story this morning, but with some of the things that happened as a result of that, that happened after that. And I'd like us to just read one verse this morning as we get started. Uh, let me just set the context for it in the first part of the chapter. Uh, Jesus is teaching there by the Sea of, the Gal- uh, sea of Galilee. And a great multitude is there, and he says, let's feed them. And uh, Philip says, uh, Lord, how in the world are we going to do that? He said, even if we had 200 penny worth of bread, and uh, $2 or 200 pennies doesn't sound like a lot today, uh, but we need to put it in the context. A penny was a day's wages. So 200 days wages, that's 10 months salary in a normal figuring. Uh, you could probably feed 10,000 people for 10 months salary, um, maybe. It wouldn't be anything fancy, that's for sure. And, and of course, Philip was implying, uh, Lord, we don't have that kind of finances. Um, and of course, Jesus performed a miracle. He then sent the disciples away in a boat, and they spent the whole night trying to row across uh, the Sea of Galilee, we call it, uh, just a little less or a little more than five miles, depending on exactly where they were crossing. And uh, Jesus goes walking on the water. I mean, there's just some wonderful parts about this, but the next day... The people that were there and had uh, been fed the meal woke up and said, Okay, where's breakfast? Jesus was gone. The disciples were gone. And so they began to add one plus one and they got two. Jesus was on the other side. And so they walked around uh, the sea again. And uh, here they meet Jesus, and in verse 28, as part of their discussion that we'll pick up in a few minutes, they ask him one of the greatest questions that can be asked by a human being to God. In verse 28, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work 
the works of God. He said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Do you know that there's been wars fought over that question? As one group of people said, this is something that we do to do the works of God. And another group said, no, that's not right. And, and actually armies of men have come together trying to decide uh, this question and the answer to it. Of course, no one actually working the works of God is going to fight a war and kill people. In this day and time, someone says, well, he told Joshua to go into the land of Canaan. And we don't have time to explain all that. Actually, if you want to come Thursday night uh, as we're doing our uh, ongoing study of Bible theology, we'll, we'll deal with that uh, very question. But today, uh, it's simply, they said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Verse 29, and this is our text. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. Now, that's pretty simple, isn't it? In fact, that's so simple that a child could believe on him whom he has sent. It's not a difficult thing. It does not take great wisdom. It doesn't take great strength. Uh, It does not take great finances. It doesn't take a great anything to believe on him. Whom he has sent. In fact, history bears this out. And we could talk about so many things and so many people down through history who have simply believed on him whom he has sent. Jesus said, this is the work of God. Now, if you want to know what God's work is and what we're supposed to be involved in what we're supposed to be about, what our church is supposed to be about. I I don't know of any better authority to comment on that than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Amen? And here in one sentence, He sums up the entire Bible. Believe on Him whom He has sent. Now, there's only one problem. We like to, and it is the natural inclination in man, to change the Word of God so that it makes sense to us. That is, that is what we do. When we come apart across the difficult passage... Or when we come across the conflict, and, and I don't want to go too far afield uh, this morning, but you get to uh, Genesis chapter 1, and just an illustration of this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
and you open up a science book, and it says that there was this huge ball of matter that began to compact, and it got so tight that it blew up. And everything that now is began spinning out of nothing, and, and all, everything is here by just simple, pure chance and circumstance. Well, we've addressed this many, many times. Uh, uh, a scientist of years gone by did the math, at least he claims to it. It's a little more than I can. He said if we took every ounce of matter in the universe, every particle, and set it reacting with every other particle in the universe in order to make life, and he gave the number of reactions would be like 10 to the 7th power, 10 million reactions per second for all the expanse of time. They claim that the universe is 13 and a half billion uh, light years wide. So we multiply that. He said there still is not enough matter and there's still not enough time for the 1,500 separate series of events that needs to happen for life to become life. Now, I don't know if you got all of that or not, but in order for the simplest life form to be assembled, according to this scientist, it's 1,500 different steps of the RNA, DNA, and all the chemicals brought together he said there's not enough matter and there's not enough time for that to happen by chance. It has to be, it had to have been done on purpose. You see, we change the Word of God so that it will fit us. We deny that there is a Creator because it, it doesn't, Makes sense to modern science. You know, there's a lot of stuff that science just can't answer. And if it comes between a choice of choosing some scientist or some textbook or some university uh, study or believing my Bible, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Uh, I'm announcing today that I, I'm going to believe the Bible. You see, I don't believe that we ought to change God's Word to fit us. I believe that God's Word ought to change us to fit God. You're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity than you ever will on this earth. We, we have it backwards. We look at what is in our hands in the short lifespan that God gives us. Basically, our three score and ten, around 70 years. And, of course, science says we've now uh, uh, increased that to 77 years. But if you've ever walked through a cemetery, there's a whole lot of people that don't make it three score and ten. And there are some people that make it to a hundred or a few over that. But... We need to understand something. God's Word is not here for our convenience. It's here to teach us about God. And Jesus told these men that were literally at this point starting an argument with Him, 
They wanted food. You know what? Jesus had fed them the day before. He had taken a little boy's lunch uh, of some small fish and, and, and crackers or bread. And he had broken that and everybody ate. You know, and even to this day. What do they talk about? The free lunch. How many of you have heard that phrase? There's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, that's true. Somebody has to pay for it. But when Jesus picks up the tab, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, he took a little something and made a great something about it. They understood, and, and we need to look into the time and the, and the day in which they lived. Do you realize that you would go out and you would work from sun up till sunset? And if you were what we would call middle class, comfortable, you had enough food to feed you and your family for that day. That was society. You know how many changes of clothes you had in your closet? None. Because you were wearing your clothes. Uh, that was what we called a, what we call a subsistence economy, but that was the way that most people in the world lived in the first century. You would work and you would have food to eat. If you were lower middle class, Guess what? You would work, and some days you'd have enough food to eat, and some days you would go hungry. And if you were poor, you were hungry all the time. Now, those of you that have lived outside the United States, there's still huge portions of the world where that type of economy is still in effect today. Where you work... And all you get is what you need to eat that day. And, and so, if you look at this a little differently than we would, your greatest need, your greatest goal, the, the greatest uh, uh, accomplishment for that day was providing food for your family. And what had Jesus just done? Provided food. Hey, guess what? If he'd do that all the time, I wouldn't have to work so hard. You know, life would be easy. Now, let's keep it where we are today. How many of us have said at one point or another in our life, I'd just like to be able to pay my bills and enjoy life. How many of you have said that? Well, that's what these men were saying when they walked around the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, probably about 10, 12 mile walk, to find Jesus there in the city of Capernaum. And when they had found him, uh, they were basically implying that... Uh, uh, it's time to eat again. We would like you as our king to supply us uh, with what we need. And Jesus looked at them and, and let's just 
verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Jesus said, don't work for that physical meat that is here today and gone. Work for the everlasting food that will give you everlasting life. And I am the one that's going to give that to you. Because I am the one that the Father has chosen or sealed. That's what the name Christ means or Messiah. It means the anointed one, the chosen one. That's why today we sing songs and, and, and we talk about God being holy. That means he's different. He's above. He is separated. He is special. He's not like us. Because the first inclination of man's heart is to develop a God that's just like you. And if you have any questions about that, I don't recommend the reading, but if you really want to understand this, read the Greek mythologies. How human were their gods? Uh, much more human than most human beings are in their attempts to satisfy their natural desires and things like that, which makes the reading and the mythology of the Greek gods what we would call sore. They're dirty. Because that's where man's heart goes. And Jesus said, don't labor for that which perisheth. Labor for eternal life. Then they asked him the question we read. And Jesus gave them the answer. And we want to look at verse 30. Jesus had just simply said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now here's what they were doing. They were trying to manipulate Jesus. Isn't that hilarious? I mean, they thought that Jesus was going to fit in to their understanding of who Jesus is. When Jesus said, I want you to believe on him whom the Father has sent, they understood exactly what he was saying. They understood that he said, you need to believe on me. That's what Jesus said. Very simple. And they said, okay. Prove that you're the, what we should believe in. Now, what had Jesus just done the day before? He'd taken a little boy's lunch and fed somewhere between eight and 10,000 people with a little boy's lunch. 
Do you think that would be miraculous enough for you to accept the fact that this man was different than any other man that ever lived? See, we come down to verse, and we're going to have to keep moving or we'll never get through the passage this morning. We, we come down to verse 36. And Jesus said, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. You see, they had already made up their mind. They had already made their decision. And the rest of this chapter is probably, well, not probably, is what we would call a difficult passage. It takes a little bit of effort to really understand what is being said. And Jesus is going to begin to explain to them about himself and who he is and what he is going to do. And we're going to see two completely different reactions based upon what Jesus is going to say about himself in the next 20, 30 verses. And um, in verse 41, they're going to argue with themselves. Then the Jews, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Now, Jesus had told them, he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am that which is going to give you eternal life. He said, but you don't believe on me. And, of course, when you see capital J-E-W-S, you need to remember that that's not talking about Jewish people That's talking about the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Uh, The scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the leaders. And and of course, they were there and they were present. and, and, And immediately they began to find fault because Jesus was making a claim that they understood very well. He was claiming deity. He was claiming to be sent directly from God to the earth, which of course... He was and is. But you see, they had already made up their mind that they weren't going to believe on him. And therefore, that couldn't be true. Are we still together here? This is what they're thinking in their head. And Jesus is going to say, Listen, I came down from heaven. And they're going to say, wait, wait a minute. We know Mary. We know Joseph. In other passages of the Bible, it says, we know your brothers. We know your sisters. You know what? The Bible messes up an awful lot of tradition, does it not? Uh, we don't have time to deal with all of that, but there are some traditions that teach that 
Mary was a teenager and that Joseph was an old man ready to die and, and, and that uh, uh, nobody really, you know, that Joseph died just a few years after they moved back to Nazareth and, and Mary never had any other children. And no, that's not true. There was a normal family there with children. In fact, the book of James was written by one of Jesus' younger brothers, humanly speaking. And the book of Jude and other ones, uh, other references there are in our Bible. And they said, how in the world does he say he came down from heaven? Well, there's an issue here. Let's get back. What do we do to work the works of God? We have to believe on him whom he hath sent. Guess what? You're going to have to believe, if you're going to get saved, you're going to have to believe that Jesus had a heavenly origin. That he is the eternal Son of God come down to earth through the miracle of what we call the virgin birth. Say, I don't understand that. Well, join the crowd. If you did, you would understand it wrong because it doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, there have been all kinds of claims to uh, uh, this kind of uh, a virgin birth, but the simple truth is Jesus' was different. God said, the angel told Mary that The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. That's all you need to know. God did that. And he used something we understand, the physical birth, to give flesh, to bring about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ did not stop being God. The best way I know how to describe it is, he covered it up. He concealed his glory and his deity from us. And he did such a good job that the Pharisees and the scribes that were listening to him right here said, you can't be God. You don't fill the position. You don't, you don't look good enough. You don't, you don't make us feel special inside. You look like an ordinary man. And you know what? He did. But that's what Isaiah said. He would be despised and rejected of men. It says, we esteemed him not. John chapter 1 says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. What is the work of God? The work of God is that you'll believe on him whom he has sent. And Jesus is going to deal with his heavenly origin. And they're, they're going to simply reject that. Look at verse 46. He says, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus is going to go on. And he's going to say, Except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, I want you to understand something very simply. Cannibalism is not in the Bible. Uh, that is always connected to demonic things. And so, Jesus is giving us a truth here. And he does not clarify this truth. He does not resolve the conflict in this truth until we get down to verse 63, in which actually, if we understand the entire context here, this conversation starts on the seashore of Galilee, the day after the feeding of the 5,000. We're not sure what actual day of the week it is, but when we get uh, down to um, uh, to verse uh, 50, 59, it says, These things saith he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So we're ta- not even talking about the same day that he begins to uh, resolve this conflict in the minds of people. And we get down to verse 63. It says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I guess I've said this every time I go through this passage. It just amazes me that people want to spiritualize the Scripture. And when it comes to the only passage in the Bible where Jesus completely and clearly says, I am speaking of spiritual things, I am spiritualizing, that they want to make physical. Do you get what I'm saying? The mass of the Roman Catholic and Orthodox Church, they try to make this physical and say that you're actually eating the flesh and the blood of drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm not speaking to you about physical things. My death on the cross has got to be made yours. That's a spiritual thing. That can't happen by any physical means. That His blood pays the price for our sins. That's a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. And what Jesus is doing here is he is saying, listen, here's the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. You've got to believe where I came from, that I'm not just an ordinary man. I am not simply a prophet. I'm not a great teacher or only a healer. I am God in the flesh. I came down from heaven. I have seen the Father, something which you have not, something which none of the prophets have. Uh, Of course, we read in the Old Testament where Moses saw uh, uh, the, uh, the back part of the glory of God and God revealed himself in many ways. But no one has ever seen the Father like Jesus saw the Father in heaven. 
because they are one. And he said, I am the living bread, and I'm going to give my flesh, I'm going to shed my blood, so that he that will partake of me. By the way, how do you partake of Jesus? Well, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. It is through faith. That's what believing is. It's believing God's Word. It's believing that Jesus is the price for our sins. That Jesus is the one that paid for it. And yet we have so many people, and many times people will ask the question, well, why didn't the Jews believe on Jesus? Well, verse 45 answers the question. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. Do you get what Jesus is saying there? He said, if you have heard and learned the Old Testament, which was the Jewish scriptures, if you have believed on them, you come to me. You know what? You can't believe in Genesis and not believe in John, the gospel record, the Bible record. By the way, you can't really believe what John says about Jesus and not believe what Genesis says about creation. It's one message because it's one God. And if you want to believe on Him, you either accept it all or you can play games with yourself. Well, I'll believe this part, but not this part. I've often had people of different religions say, well, you know, I, I'm really not filling the blank. I mean, I, I go to church every week, but I, I don't believe that stuff. I remember one time a, a Catholic man said, you know, I don't believe in the Pope and I don't believe in confession. And I just don't believe in that. So I said, would you mind going and telling your priest that? He said, what? I said, you tell me that you're a Catholic and you don't believe in these things. Go tell your priest that you don't believe in these things and see what he'll tell you. I said, he won't be very kind, will he? Uh, well, uh, um, you know, I never really thought about that before. I said, you know, you need to understand something, friend. If you believe in this book called the Bible, you have to believe what it says. And if you understand everything the Bible says, the only person you're deceiving is yourself. Because no one does. That's why Jesus was so confusing in this chapter. It's amazing people talk about blind faith as if it were some incredibly foolish notion that should never, 
ever be a part of human existence. But let me ask you a question. How many things do you accept by blind faith? How many of you believe you could step out of a second story window and not be injured? Without a safety net or a fall arrest harness. I mean, just walk out onto nothing. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, we hear stories about people who try it every once in a while under the influence of drugs and alcohol and different things like that. And bad things happen. You see, the first step is not the problem. It's when you hit the ground. That's what the problem is. Uh, That's when bad things happen. There's a thing called the law of gravity. And I don't suggest that you go try it to make sure that it works. Uh, I'll promise you, you can accept that by blind faith. And if you want seeing faith, just go to the library and research the stories of people who have attempted to defy the law of gravity. It doesn't work. How many believe the power of electricity? Yeah, keep your finger out of the light socket. Amen? Not smart. Uh, It will hurt you and possibly kill you. I mean, there's lots of things that we believe that we don't necessarily see or experience first. But I'll tell you what. All you have to do is look up into the sky at night if you're outside the city limits. And look at the stars. Look at some of those pictures of the universe and how far it is across and all of the things that are there. Uh, I finally found a good set of pictures uh, at the right time. I'll show you. It, it describes the size of things in our universe. It's absolutely mind-blowing. As you put our earth up beside the sun and our sun up beside other stars Uh, in the universe, and it's just amazing. And my favorite question is, who but God could waste all of this universe to stick one little planet with people on it and give us a book and ask us to believe what's in it? You want to work the works of God? Believe on Him whom God has sent. Are you going to understand everything about life? Uh, No. But let me ask you a question. Does Dr. Phil understand everything about life? Does Oprah Winfrey have all the answers to life? And my suggestion would be, if you think they do, just read their personal life histories and you'll find out they don't. But might God have the answers to things that we don't understand? How many of you have taken something out of this book and lived it and received the benefits from it? I'll tell you what, do you want to work the works of God? 
believe on Him whom He has sent, even though it doesn't make sense to you. Jesus is going to ask the disciples one more question. Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend offend you? What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. He said, listen, if you think this little speech about my flesh is given to the life of the world and my blood is given for the sins of the world, if you think this is confusing, wait until you're standing on Mount Olivet outside the city of Jerusalem and watch me ascend into heaven where I was before. And then you're going to realize that the job that I have given you is going to be yours. Because I'm leaving. He said, what are you going to do then? If you think you're confused now, just wait. You see, God wants one thing of faith. He wants him to be the center of our faith. And in order for Jesus Christ to be the center of our faith, he has got to disconnect you from human reasoning. He's got to make that break from your mind and your heart so that your faith will not be in your ability to perceive and understand, but will be in the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the faith that the Bible's talking about. That is the kind of works that God wants us to work. He wants us to believe in Jesus no matter what. And look here, verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' answer is so telling. You know, sometimes we struggle so much with ourselves to finally get to that point to where we believe in Jesus that we think God has gotten something because we believed in Him. Now look what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, verse 70, Have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus said, don't be impressed with your decision to believe on me. He said, I've chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil. But Peter made a great statement here. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? We have no idea what you've just said. That's what Peter was saying. He said, we don't get this eating flesh, drinking blood thing. 
That is really weird. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We know that you're talking about spiritual things, but we still don't get it. But we're not going anywhere. You see, they were going to stay around when Jesus was arrested and taken to the cross. The disciples were still there. Amen? Oh yeah, they were hiding and Peter denied that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were still there. On Resurrection Sunday, where were they? Peter and John went running to the tomb. And John says, I believed. It took Peter a little bit more. But that Sunday night when Jesus appeared and had the first uh, real church service, the first New Testament church service was on a Sunday night, they wanted to jump out the window. But it says they believed. Now they understood that Jesus had accomplished the work of salvation through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that what we need to do to partake of that work that Jesus did is believe on Him whom He has sent. How many of you have read the entire book of Acts? You know what? The disciples stayed with Jesus all the way through the book of Acts now, didn't they? Through trials, through persecutions... Through much suffering, it was on the day, the Feast of Pentecost that Peter preached the greatest sermon that any man has ever preached. I'll tell you, they stayed with Jesus. You know what? They stayed with Jesus even though Judas chose to leave. They simply believed on Him whom God has sent. Now, how does that apply to you and I today? Well, it's very simple. How does a person get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. You know why some people don't get saved? It's because... Well, preacher, you're just one person. And you give me one interpretation of the Bible. And there's a lot of other interpretations. And so I, I want to cover my bases here and I want to be safe. Uh, that's not belief, my friend. There's people over the years that say, well, pastor, I I have to confess to you, I was still going back to my old church and doing things just to make sure. But I finally got, got it settled and I'm not doing that anymore. Well, you don't get saved because of this church. We don't offer salvation. You have to go to Jesus to get it. You can't become a member of our church until you've settled the issue of salvation first. Because... The greatest thing we can do is tell you how to get saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and help you realize you've got to peel back the layers of tradition and deception and self-deception and religion and all the things that you've been told and just believe on the finished work of Christ. That's why up behind me it says, it is finished. Those were the words that Jesus uttered on the cross. There's nothing left to do except believe on Him whom God has sent. But if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, let me ask you, are you willing to tell somebody what you've done in your heart? You know, that's a spiritual work. Salvation is the work that God does the moment you put your faith and trust in Him. You know, I've had many people over the years trust Jesus Christ as we were talking in the office and some here at the altar in front of the church and uh, some in their own homes. And you know what? I've never seen any attendant phenomena. Bow their head and they pray. I said, do you know you're saved? Yeah. Well, how do you know you're saved? Uh, many times, oh, I, I, can, I feel better. I said, no, no, let's not go there. You're going to feel better because you're saved. There's no question about it. But why are you saved? Well, I did what the Bible said. That's believing on him whom God has sent. If you've done that, God has done the work of saving you. But he asked you to tell people about it. That's what the baptistry is about. Praise the Lord for the several that we've had baptized in the last few weeks. But you know what? We need to keep going. If you believe on him whom God has sent, would you believe him enough to give a public testimony through the waters of baptism? And by the way, salvation is entrance into heaven. Baptism is entrance into the church as a member. If you believe on Jesus, would you be willing, do you believe enough to serve him through his church? Well, how do I know this church is the right church? Well, the only promise I can give you, and people that have been here for many years uh, uh, will tell you that I've kept this promise that all we preach and teach is what's in this book called the Bible. Nothing else. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask. I will take whatever time is necessary to help you understand this book. That's my duty. Uh, that, that is my privilege. I, there's nothing more that I enjoy than doing that. If you believe on Him whom God has sent, do you believe enough to show up prayer meeting on Sunday night? That's, is that not believing on Him? Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? How about, can we believe Jesus enough that we can trust Him with what's going on in the lives of people around us instead of trying to manipulate other people to do things we want them to do? You know, if my faith and trust is in Jesus... I don't have to have other people doing things for me. See, that's the love the world offers, is it not? 
And if you'll be honest, you've loved people like that. But if you believe on him whom God has sent, you've got to stop expecting. Because you believe in Jesus and he is the only one that can take care of it. You know, if you really believe on him whom God has sent, can you believe on him enough to lay there in the hospital bed? And wait on the Lord to do what only He can do? Hey, that's scary. But if you believe on Him whom God has sent, He's bigger than anything we face in this life. You see, these are the applications of this passage. How many of you have worried this past week about world events? I mean, we're talking about Congress, talking about health care, talking about the elections, talking about Ebola, talking about ISIS, and, and talking about terrorism. How many of us have worried and put concerns on those things? If you believe in Him whom God has sent, can you believe enough in Jesus to stop trying to figure out what everybody else ought to be doing? And take your life energy and serve Him. Oh, that's a tough one now, isn't it? Well, what do you mean by serving Him? Well, the best thing to do is tell other people about Jesus. We've got a missions conference coming up in a couple weeks. How many of you believe enough? In Jesus to be here at the missions conference and ask God to start preparing your heart now for what you're going to do for missions next year. Oh, Pastor, that's easy. Uh, uh, you got to get the other things done first. Amen. You know, the Bible, the psalmist put it this way Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's what it means to believe in him whom God has sent. And if every one of us in this room would be honest this morning, we come up short somewhere. There, there's some room for improvement. Now, praise God, salvation is a one-time event that lasts for all eternity. Why? Because Jesus finished it, not you. You need to believe on Him to be saved. Somebody said, I do that every day. Uh, that's not believing. Because He said He would give you eternal life. And if you have eternal life, then you can't lose it. Amen? That's believing on Jesus Christ. You see, my eternity is settled. Therefore, my life energy needs to be spent on all these other things. Each one will bring honor and glory to Him 
whom God has sent. Do you believe on him whom God has sent? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in hearts and lives. And Lord, there are many decisions that need to be made this morning that not a word has to be said publicly. It's just between the heart of the believer and him whom God has sent. Lord, there are other decisions that need to be made that need a little help, need some public acknowledgement. Many times, it's helpful to have someone right there to just open the Bible and make salvation simple as it ought to be. You can't be baptized without a local church to do it. You can't become a member without asking to become a member. Lord, there are so many things, so many of life's questions that would be answered very simply if we just believe in Him whom God has sent. Help us, Lord. Help us to believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.